as you're being seated, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you have found Romans chapter 12, verse 1, say word. We can do better than that this morning. Say word. Yeah, let's look at the Word and see what it says to us in the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My intentions this week as I studied were to preach the first eight verses, but as I begin to dig into these two verses, I knew that this needed to be one sermon on its own, and or we'd be here over an hour. But you want me to stay, you want me to stay an hour? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But so uh, these are great verses. I read one commentator who said these are the two most important verses in the whole Bible. I don't know about that, but they're certainly very important. And they're very uh, important for our current study as we go through Romans. Before we dive into those verses, um, I think you would agree with me. It's not enough for us to simply identify as Christians, right? It's not enough just to say, I'm a Christian. Anybody can say that, can't they? It's not enough just to wear a Christian t-shirt that proclaims, hey, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. We know that a, an authentic Christian, a genuine Christian, a true Christian, is someone who has put their faith in Christ, and their life has in some ways been transformed, and is in the process of being continually transformed. The sermon this morning is called The Transformed Life. And I want you to get that in your mind. I want you to think about that idea that as a Christian, my life has been transformed and is being, by the Holy Spirit of God, transformed day by day. And so Paul really spent the first 11 chapters of this book, of this letter, he spent the first 11 chapters really describing the gospel, that good news that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. And he dove into that gospel truth in those 11 chapters in a, such a deep way, in such a, an amazing way. And I've so enjoyed these last months, these eight months or nine months of diving into the first 11 chapters. But now there is certainly a, a transition in his writing. And he does this, by the way, in all of his books, basically, where the first chapters are about theology or they're more about the instruction and the second half of the book is about the imperative or the go and do. The first half is the listen to this truth, and the second half is here's what you should do with this truth. Isn't that what any good sermon should be like? Here's the truth, and here's what we should do with the truth. And that's what Paul does. And I want you to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the things we've studied in the first 11 chapters, must impact our daily lives. James said it this way, 
We must not be hearers only, but also what? Doers of the word. And I found that people, including myself, when I try to live in obedience to God or live a spiritual life apart from the doctrines of Scripture, the truths of Scripture, I found people that do that, they might start strong, but they fade away because they're not rooted in the truth. And so we must never, although we're leaving chapter 11 and going to this new realm of more practical theology, we must never forget where we came from. We must never forget the gospel truths. We must talk about those week after week. Yesterday, we were in the yard, and in our front yard, y'all know we're not flower people and bush people. We kill everything. And one of our little rose bushes, I think, I'm not sure what's on there, maybe roses, but it has like this weed growing out of it. And I'm like, hey, I think that's a weed. But the weed was like this big around. I was like, I think this is a tree. It's not a weed, it's a tree. So I was like, Andrew, come out here. I want you to do some work. I was supervisor, you know. Ben, you know what I'm talking about. You have supervisors. <laughs> and, and I said, get this root, get this tree out of our flower bed. And he's like, oh, I got this. Of course, Andrew's a strong kid, right? He grabs it with two hands, and he pulls as hard as he can, and it doesn't budge. And I was like, well, let me help you, son. I step in, we all, four hands on it, you know, here we go, we got this. I pull it, not much of a budge, maybe a little bit, not, not much of a budge. And that tree was rooted, that weed, whatever it was, was rooted pretty deep in the ground. And until we took a shovel to it and we took care of business, <laughs> but we figured it out. But the point is, it was so strong because why? The roots. If we don't have our roots in the doctrines of Scripture, and the doctrines of grace, and the doctrines of redemption, and the, and the doctrine of the gospel, if we don't have roots there, then our practical theology, we won't be able to do as much. We won't be able to live it the way we need to live it. We won't be able to pull the, the tree out of the ground. And so I want us to see that as we, as we dive into this and understand that the truth we've learned so far must impact our life. I'm going to give you two keys, two keys for spiritual transformation to help us live the transformed life the first one is in verse one and i'm going to describe it with one word and that word is surrender look at it again i beseech you therefore therefore is a connecting word and anytime you see therefore in the scripture i was taught you need to find out what it was there for which means to look back before that and find the context and so paul says i beseech you i urge you therefore and so the whole point, again, is what he's saying is, because of what I've explained to you in these previous chapters, now you must listen and do this. I've explained this to you, now you must do this. And I tried to make a list of some of the key things that Paul has said about the, the doctrine of grace and, and the gospel in the first 11 chapters. And I only have a few here, but listen, here's what we've learned so far in Romans. We have been justified by grace through faith in Christ. We have been set free from the guilt and the penalty of sin. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been united with Christ. We have been given the Holy Spirit to guide us. We have the promise as the elect of God to be conformed to the image of His Son. We have the promise, as we saw in chapter 8, that if God is for us, what? Who shall be against us? We have the promise and the confidence in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's just a few of the things I pulled out this week. But 
all this, Paul says, because of all these things that God has done, I now appeal to you, I beseech you, therefore, I beg you, I urge you, brethren, to what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let me just start here before I dive in further in this verse is, have you done this? Have you surrendered your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord? Have you surrendered all as we sang earlier? There's a word here that's interesting. He says, present your, your bodies. And, and some have taken that to mean that, you know, Paul was only talking about our, our physical bodies. But I think that word, if you look into it, really means your whole being, everything you are. Surrender yourself, your, the entirety of yourself to him. And it reminds me of what he said in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. You remember that verse when he says, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body which tells us that jesus purchased us by his death so we must glorify him with our lives i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god to present your bodies a living sacrifice anytime i see the word sacrifice and you'll see it throughout the new testament i think back to the old testament you do that you think back to the old testament sacrifices and there are various kinds of sacrifices in the old testament there were drink offerings and sacrifices there were grain offerings but the most common one for us to think about is animal sacrifices right where they would take this animal and they would go to the priest and they would be sacrificed for their sin and, and they would have to do this over and over and over again and and thinking about that i see this phrase here a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto god do you remember in the old testament how when god said hey bring these animals and, and sacrifice them there was there were stipulations on those animals god would say to them things like this it must be without blemish or without defect or without deformity. Why did God tell them, it's already enough trouble, isn't it, to get the animals together, take them up there to the sacrifice. Why did God say the animal must be holy, without blemish, to be acceptable? kind of points ahead to something else, or someone else, doesn't it? It points ahead to someone else, a perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God who would come and be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. But I read this and say, well, God, if, if I'm to present myself to you as a living sacrifice, how can I possibly present myself to God as a holy and acceptable sacrifice? Because I don't know about you, but I mess up every day. And mess up's not a good word, is it? I sin every day. And we all do. We all fall short constantly. How can we who sin constantly present ourselves as a living sacrifice unto a holy God? And the answer is, we present ourselves to Him through Christ, who is that holy, perfect, acceptable sacrifice. Something else about these sacrifices, here it says we're to be living sacrifices. Those Old Testament animals, they didn't come out so well, did they? <laughs> Those were dead sacrifices. They, they were killed there on the altar. And so the idea here is that there are to be dead sacrifices, and the idea we know is, again, about Jesus, that without the shedding of blood, there is so, no forgiveness of sin. But what does it mean for us to be living sacrifices? Someone said this. I heard this years ago, and I'm not sure who said it. They said the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar. That's pretty good, isn't it? Because how many of us have come to a church like this and sat in a chair or a pew or kneeled at an altar and said, you know what, God, today I'm turning over a new leaf. 
today I'm surrendering my life to you. Today I'm, gonna, I'm recommitting my life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. How many of us have made those kind of commitments at the altar and laid ourselves before God and then all of a sudden one day crawled away from that commitment? A lot of us probably have. That's the problem with a living sacrifice. And it reminds me of what another thing Paul said when he said, I die daily. That to be a living sacrifice is a daily thing. To daily say to the Lord, I present myself to you. Not holy and acceptable on my part, but through Christ, I am holy and acceptable. Then he says this, which is your reasonable service. That word service can be defined as worship, by the way. It's another word used for worship there. Um, and so I want, to sh- I want you to see presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice as worship. We talk about this a lot, but I think it's necessary. And you guys know this, that you this morning surrendered a couple of hours at least to get ready and to come and sit and worship. I hope you don't really see it as a surrender. I hope you see it as something useful and and good. But in a sense, we surrender that time. And is that a good thing to do? Absolutely. Some of you surrendered of yourself earlier and you just, you sang the songs. Today, you you thought, I don't really feel like singing today, but I'm just going to sing anyway. Sing to the Lord. And you surrendered in a sense. Some of you today will surrender yourself by, by putting money in our offering box and you surrender a little bit of yourself. And that's certainly good too. Some of you will do these different things. You'll listen to the sermon as intently as you can, and that's a good thing to do. I was thinking about worship this week and how some people think if they haven't heard the right song, they didn't worship. Or some churches, you may have been to churches like this. I've been to churches where they think if you don't have the certain kind of lights going on, flashing, then you're not really worshiping, right? Or if you don't have the right amount of smoke coming up, you're not worshiping. Or if you're not dressed a certain way, you're not worshiping. Or you know, if the preacher is not a certain kind of way, you're not worshiping. And I'll, I'll confess, I think I've been guilty in my past of like, some days you feel a little something, you feel a little more emotional. You're like, well, I really worship today because I felt something. And there's probably something to that, but not always. If you've come in here with a pure heart, pure motive to seek the, wor- the word and the Lord today, then you are here worshiping. Those things, all those different things are just vehicles of worship. At its core, your reasonable service, your spiritual act of worship is in here. It's here. It's in your heart. It is a spiritual thing. Jesus was walking, and he found this lady at a well in John chapter 4. Remember this story? The Samaritan woman at the well? And they begin to have this conversation, and Jesus says, hey, go get your husband and, and tell him to come over here and and she's like, well, I don't, I don't have any husbands. And Jesus, remember what he says? Yeah, you've had five husbands. And the guy you're with now is not even your husband. <laughs> he just calls her out. And then the next thing she says is, well, my father, our fathers say you should worship here on this mountain. Your fathers say you should worship in Jerusalem. She tries to make some kind of like, you know, spiritual worship debate out of it with this guy who clearly knows more than she does. And then Jesus says, there's a day coming when you, you won't worship on this mountain or over here, over there. And then he says this, God is spirit. 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, this type of worship, this type of surrender is not just an outward raising of a hand or bending of a knee or singing a lyric. This is presenting yourself to God in a serious, sincere way where you say, Lord, you say this, Jesus, I am yours. I want you to think about that. Before you sing another song lyric, say in your heart to him, Jesus, I am yours. Before you listen to another sermon, before you continue listening to this sermon, say, Jesus, I'm yours. Make that, your, make that a daily prayer. That you wake up every morning and say, Jesus, today, I present myself to you. I am yours. At its core, the surrender of Romans 12.1 is to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Not my Sunday at 10.30, but my life. Jesus, I am yours. Let's go to verse 2. So our first key for a transformed life is surrender. The second key, I want to say it with this word, that's the word mindset. Mindset. He says, be not conformed to this world. I tried to find some Play-Doh this morning, but apparently we've thrown all our Play-Doh away at the house. We do that a lot. We like to throw away Play-Doh because if not, it gets in stuff. But, and I've used this illustration with you before, but if you take a piece of Play-Doh and you take a star shape and you press the Play-Doh into the star shape, what shape will the Play-Doh be? Star. If you press it into a square, what shape will it be? Press it into a circle, what shape will it be? Whatever shape you press that Play-Doh into, right guys, it'll become that shape, right? So that word conform is the same word as to be pressed into. So Paul tells us here, do not be pressed into this world. Because when we are, when we're pressed into this world, we begin to think like this world, and we begin to act like this world. And I don't know if you've looked around, but the world is evil. And the world is not something we want to be like. It, the world is not interested whatsoever in helping you become a better Christian. Whatsoever. It's the opposite. But even us who are Christians, if we're not careful, we can become like the world. And one way we do that is by having our minds turned away from the things of God and onto things of the world. And this can happen to, to people. I was thinking about some scriptural examples of similar things. So remember when Lot, they were getting Lot out of Solomon and Gomorrah and before the God destroyed it? What did Lot's wife do? What did she do? You remember? She turned back. So she's headed for safety. She's headed for being saved, the right way to go. She turns back, and what happened? She turned into a pillar of salt. She turned away from the, the right way. Another example I thought about is, is in Israel, um, Moses has those people, those people of Israel are a lot like us, they're hard-headed, and they always turn their back on God over and over again. But remember the story when Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God so that he can come back and help the people, and it doesn't take long, he's not gone long, and they begin to go against God. In one, in one situation, remember they build a golden calf to worship. It doesn't take long for God, for even for God's people to sometimes turn their back. 
Another example is in the New Testament when Peter is walking on water and he takes his eyes off Jesus, what happens? He sinks. Reminds me of the song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And it says this, If you look, if you look to Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. If there's something we need this morning, it's for the things of this world to grow strangely dim. To realize we're just, we're, as the old song says, just a passing through. This world is not our home. But so many times, the things of this world are so important to us. They're so big to us. They become the, the, the higher priority to us. And he says here clearly, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed in. Another hymn says, the world behind me, the cross before me. I will follow Jesus. So instead of being conformed to the world, what does he say? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Should Christians think differently than non-Christians? Should we have a different mindset, different worldview? We should, shouldn't we? There, there's no doubt about it. Because we, who are Christians have submitted ourselves to come under the teaching of God and specifically the teaching of that Bible you hold in your hand, right? As Christians, we say, if this teaches it, I want to do my very best to try to live it out and apply it and obey it. And so there's a mindset we need, a God-given, word-instructed, spirit-led mindset that we need. Romans, in another place, earlier Paul wrote, that we're to walk in newness of life. And a part of that newness of life is a mindset on things of Christ. This lifelong process where we think more like God wants us to think. This morning, I, I just want to hope, hope pique your curiosity. How is your mindset? How is your, how is your worldview? Do you need to kind of regroup and say, you know, my, my focus needs to get a little bit back on Jesus and less on this world? The world disagrees with us about a lot of stuff. <laughs> the world says sin is okay. We say sin is an offense against a holy God. The world says Christ was just a man, right? They might even say he was a good teacher. We say he's the Son of God, Savior, and Lord. The world says there is no eternal life. We say there's a heaven and there's a hell. The, wor the world says there are many ways to get to eternal life or to eternal paradise. We say there is one way, one truth, one life, and that's through Jesus. The world says you can do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, say whatever you want. We believe our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, our actions must come under the, the reign of Jesus Christ and his word. There's a difference, right, between us and the world. The world says you should live based on how you feel. That's the thing now, right? That's my generation and younger. It's all about how you feel. And if you feel like doing this, you do it. If you feel like doing this, if you don't feel like doing this, you don't do it. That's how this my generation and the younger, I think, are. And that's a, a, a lie from this world. And look, you can't live based on your feelings alone. Some of you did not feel like coming here this morning, I'm guessing maybe at least one or two of you, but guess what? You said, I need to be there. 
I'll miss it if I don't go. I need to be there to worship. I need to be there, be there to encourage others and be encouraged myself. And you said, I'm going to get up and go. Some of you, don't, some of you aren't going to feel like getting up and going to work tomorrow morning, are you? But what are you going to do? You're going to get up and go or take a day off. But you know what I mean. You can't live your life based on feelings, right? Some, you know, we discussed this this morning, and, and I love my wife, but like some days, she, I don't know if she really likes me because the way I've acted or something. She may, not always, she may not always feel like she likes me, but she loves me. Okay. <laughs> you see, but, but in a, on, a, on the real, though, how many people nowadays are like, you know, I, I just don't feel like I love that person anymore, so I'm going to do something else. And that's kind of real, right? We always joke about, I mean, we do love each other, but like, if I didn't feel like I love her sometimes, that's not going to affect anything. We're still going to be in the same house, working things out, and that's just how we're going to do it. You can't live based on your feelings, but the world says, follow your emotions, follow your feelings. Here's what I say. Here's what the Bible says. You live by truth. Truth will never lie to you. Your emotions will constantly lie to you. Hey, the world also says, as I break this mic, the world also says to live by doing. Let me explain that when I fix this microphone. Garth Brooks up here. The world says things like this, and this is in the church. You know what, preacher, I don't really need all the deep truth. I don't need Romans 1 through 11. Just tell me two or three points, help me with my week, and I'll go on and I'll live it. In other words, a lot of people just want application, which I would call shallow preaching. And that's not enough. Some people say, just give me the seven keys for life. I read this in a book. Just give me the seven keys to life, and I'll be fine. But a life of just thinking about the doing and not the, the knowing will ignore the, the mindset that God wants us to have, that we are to be, as the Scripture says there, to be transformed and to be transforming by the renewing of our minds. If we do these things, if we are not conformed but we are transformed, look at what the rest of this verse says, that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Some people say, I want to know God's will for my life. Well, the first place you should look is the Bible. As a matter of fact, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. The number one thing God wants from us is that we become more and more like Jesus and glorify Him in the process. And some people think, oh, I can't, I don't know how to make these big decisions. I've always felt if I'm following Christ, God will reveal those big decisions to me as I walk with him. If I'm not walking with him, those big decisions often seem cloudy. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Do you want to know what is good and acceptable and perfect to God and, and to be able to prove that and dis have discernment, spiritual discernment? If you want that, you must let your mind be transformed by your faith, and by his word. If you're living a life of gospel, gospel transformation, you already know kind of what I'm talking about. You've had a time, you've grown in your faith. You not, you're not now where you used to be. You've had ups and downs, but you have seen Christ work in your life. Let me ask you as I move to my conclusion, has the gospel changed you? Has your belief in Christ changed you? 
I would argue from Scripture, if the gospel that you've received did not in some way change you, then you did not receive the gospel of the Bible. I've used the illustration before, but if I walk out in the road in a few minutes and a big truck comes by and hits me, am I going to be changed? Right? It's going to be sad, but don't play in the street. How much more when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes into someone's life, must they be changed? Jesus changes things. And when he moves in, things change. It's kind of like when you have a new baby. A baby, you have a new baby. We've had a few. And when you move a new baby in, especially the first one, things change. All of a sudden, you're, you're childproof locks and different pieces of furniture and all these different things for a small child. When Jesus moves in, things change. Have you received Christ? Have you embraced Christ? And have you treasured Christ? Because when you've done that, you will be living the transformed life. Have you surrendered? Have you presented your body a living sacrifice? Do you need to say anew today, Jesus, I am yours. I surrender, and I want you to help transform my mindset. I read a Spurgeon quote this week. I want to end with it. Charles Spurgeon said, I feel that if I could live a thousand lives, I would like to live them all for Christ. And I should even then feel that they were all too little a return for his great love for me. Based on the things we've studied this year so far, church, these verses in chapter 12 are a, a launching pad from the truth we've rooted ourselves into to now even more living this God-honoring, God-pleasing, Christ-exalting, people-loving, sanctified, holy, acceptable life. And I pray that before you leave today, you'd make a commitment to the Lord again. As a living sacrifice, and you know what? You might crawl off the altar eventually, but make that commitment today. Lord, I want to serve you anew, afresh, starting now. Let's pray.